0: Welcome to the Recappery, the History Chicks Media Recap Emporium. Hello. Today, we are going to conclude our coverage of the Netflix show The Crown, at least for a while. This
1: is the season two finale, episode 10, Mystery Man. The Netflix synopsis is this. A salacious government scandal hits close to home for Elizabeth and Philip. Elizabeth retreats to Scotland for rest during a difficult pregnancy.
0: My synopsis, of course, much shorter. Queen Elizabeth cannot catch a break as every part of her life spirals out of control through no fault of her own, the end.
1: Oh, that's good. Mine isn't shorter, but it may be clever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I wrote it at like midnight, I thought I was being clever. Okay, here we go. A confederacy of quitters, a fellowship of lasciviousness, a clan of turmoil, a marriage of estrangement, a belly of baby, and a parade of goodbye Easter eggs wrap up this season of The Crown.
0: Okay, I'm interested in the goodbye Easter eggs.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I have a list. I had a running list. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Okay. The show opens with a frontal. There are church bells in the distance, and we quickly see light streaming through some heavy curtains. We hear footsteps, and it's wakey time for Prince Philip. And a card says, April 1962.
0: Now, for timeline purposes, and honestly, you're going to ditch the timeline thing halfway through this because it is making no sense. But for timeline purposes right now, you should know that this, April 1962, is the exact month and year that Charles started at Gordonston. So this episode is running concurrently with the previous
1: one in the show's timeline, at least for the beginning of the show. (laughs) And maybe it explains why Philip was testy on the ride home. You'd think the
0: valet's clumpy shoes and all the curtain rings jingling would wake you up first. I hate being woken up by someone turning on the light, even if it's the sun. Hate it. Also, Philip has
1: jammies on, so I don't know what's getting into him. Well, oh, that's right. He must have gotten older or cold or something. Or they've (laughs) written a new contract. Oh, yeah, exactly. It was fun last season, but this season, no, no, no.
0: So Philip injures himself while stretching, and it looks like that runs in the family because Queen Elizabeth broke herself taking off a boot a couple episodes ago.
1: (laughs) I was impressed that he gets up at 730, though. Like if you were royal, what time would you get up?
0: But if you're a morning person, you get up whenever. And plus, he was in the Navy, and I don't think they let you lie abed.
1: Yeah. I think it's you get into
0: a habit, and then, you know.
1: So we think Philip is a morning person. Interesting. Are you? You're not a morning person. No,
0: I'm a person that could sleep around the clock, unless like I've never woken up naturally without literally somebody waking me up,
1: be it an alarm or a person. Wow. I have a good internal alarm clock, but I'm not a morning person regardless of what time it goes off. No, I'd say my best time is usually like one or two in the morning. I'm most creative from 10 at night till about two in the morning. But during the day, I'm most productive from 10 in the morning till two in the afternoon. (laughs) Philip goes out to perform his morning exercises, despite a pain in his neck that he only makes worse. (laughs)
0: I was looking at his shoes and I immediately thought, Keds? Surely not. But it is actually perfectly possible that this is what he's wearing for his workout because in 1892, the Goodyear Company, yes, the rubber people, started producing rubber soles for shoes. And by 1916, these rubber-soled shoes were already called Keds. They became the athletic shoe of choice because before this, your only option was just you your like older pair of Sunday shoes. And that was not very good for athletic ability.
1: I had no idea. I'm going to look at my kids a little bit differently now. I have several pairs. They're <laughs> so cute. And they're, once you put an insole in them, they're really comfortable. I do I not have any kids. No, you have very few anything that doesn't have a three inch heel Correct. or four. I kind of loved this scene. I love the close-ups of the stopwatch and the close-ups of the exercises and that little dancey, prancy, running in place thing. I did have a question about because when he was at Gordonston, they ran around that field and he's in a pretty big yard area. Why isn't he running around? Why is he running in place? Well, maybe we just didn't see that part. We do see the jumping jacks and the setups and the
0: Stretches and these push ups with no hands. The closest I can get is Superman pose in yoga, but I do not think Mr. Jockety Jog Jog is going to do yoga. Mm. What
1: is the stopwatch for? I think the stopwatch was so that he could time. Like, I run in place for two minutes, I do push ups for two minutes, I do a plank for three seconds. <laughs> That's what I think it was there for. I mean, I is think there, there an alarm sh- on it? Or do you have to no. watch it? Oh, you have to watch it. I think he's just that structured. Yeah, that's what I think. Because military, right? That's how, how they would have done it. Okay. After
0: his workout, Philip is yelling at a companion to crack his neck for him. Not his valet, who is spectacularly handsome. Uh, it's Jim Orr again. I don't know why. I guess Jim Orr's your guy to break your neck if you... <laughs>
1: He has a history. Well, he's his private secretary. I mean, he has been since when Mike Parker left. The private secretary and Philip do everything together. So Jim was there.
0: Well, and Jim Moore's like, you need a professional. And (laughs) Philip says, don't be so bloody wet. It just needs a good sharp. And then the Foley artist breaks a stock of (laughs) celery, I swear to you.
1: (laughs) I believe it. That was a good sharp. I don't think I don't know how you, a person could do that to themselves, but I'm just not as disciplined as Philip, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wondered how Jim and Philip got reconnected because they had gone to Gordonston together. We had seen that last week. Um apparently, Jim had gone on to a career in the military and when Philip and Mike Parker were on that dude cruise back in a uh, company of men, he went ashore where Jim was stationed, they saw each other. Philip invited Jim on board. For for gin and tonic and then shortly thereafter mike left and philip called up jim from the ranks you make the best
0: partnerships at a bar i met my <laughs> husband at a bar i think that's the best place
1: <laughs> it's a good place well they technically met at school but they re-met at a bar
0: correct i saw an interview where jim orr said something like he used to be my servant and now i'm his or something
1: <laughs> pretty cool Philip and Jim arrive at a highly recommended doctor's office.
0: They have got a neck brace from somewhere. Does the maid have one in the linen cupboard? Where do you get a neck brace from? But anyway, uh, Jim's driving him to what I think is a very cool looking street. But Philip seems to think it's sort of third world like. (laughs) He's very like, I don't know. Those big, I guess, garage doors are freaking him out. I love those. Anyway, Jim's got a tip. This guy is the osteopath to the stars.
1: (laughs) Inside the doctor's office, Philip gets both relief from the new unconventional doctor, Stephen Ward, and an invitation for an unconventional weekend.
0: So Dr. Ward's whole point is that, hey, people come to me with physical symptoms. Yes. But often these physical symptoms have emotional causes like tension, emotional strain, unresolved conflicts. Though he does, you should note give Philip a couple of good cracks. I never let anybody mess with my neck. (laughs) I mean, never, never, never. And if you ever popped it, it'd probably sound like some kind of car wreck.
1: (laughs) Well, he does do it in a very controlled manner. I mean, he puts his hands in a precise spot and then gives it a, you know, a professional click. Well, I've
0: seen many assassins in movies do that too. A very professional click.
1: Oh, very nice. You
0: got to trust your guy. That's I always think that in old movies when your butler is shaving you with a straight razor, I'm like, you've been nice to him, right?
1: Because <laughs> he is in a position of power right now. That's right. Stephen Ward is a osteopath. But back in 1962, it wasn't recognized as a medical practice. It is now. But the British Medical Association didn't recognize it as a legitimate practice because it was so new. So he would have to explain what an osteopath does and why it's different than a regular doctor, you know, a medical doctor.
0: Well, so that's the treatment for the neck. Um, Philip wonders, how do you treat those, you know? underlying conditions you mentioned you have to change one's whole lifestyle and philip reveals hey i used to have a fellow look after me in that department by which he means mike parker because we character philip never learns from his mistakes because he referred to mike parker as a person who quote made sure there wasn't too much tension in my life up until that last part where he created maximum tension (laughs) right i mean are we forgetting that whole episode character (laughs) philip i don't know so oh no i thought this guy stephen ward is a friend of mike parker's that is a harbinger of doom and instead of running away like the wise man would philip has just received the magic password now we're all intrigued by this doctor this stephen ward who he had not even bothered to learn the guy's name until this minute. So Mike Parker evidently always wanted this Stephen Ward to get Philip out for a party. You know, they're going to play charades and listen to some classical music. They're going <laughs> to drink some punch. They're going to play croquet. I'm absolutely sure.
1: Right. Of course. Of course. Maybe do a little twist, you know, get the record player out. little chubby checker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Ward says, I enjoy putting people together, which is the creepiest statement
1: delivered in the creepiest way ever. Philip's like, oh, it's like it pushed a button in him that had remained dormant until that moment. And then he's like, oh, I remember this feeling. Let me go with it.
0: Yeah. Philip's intrigued by photos of cute ladies on the mantelpiece and who, hey, they're going to be at this party, too. Coinky co-inky dink. <laughs> <laughs> Christine and Mandy are their names. And Philip says, my neck's feeling better already. So the camera zooms in to one of these photos of a pretty young lady who's smoking a cigarette as if to say, look, look, viewers, look, look at this
1: person. She's going to be very important. Mm-hmm. And that leads us to the opening sequence. I went back into all the episodes to see who had directed them and who had co-written them because there was a few that had a co writer. There was only one female co writer and one female director who did two episodes Marionettes and Vergangenheit. Her name is Philippa Lowthorpe. And she actually got a BAFTA for directing. The Barrel episode was co written by a woman, but not directed. So perhaps next season they can do better with that. The next scene opens with a card that says one year later, and there's three different scenes that are kind of intercut. John Profumo heads to Harold McMillan's country estate. McMillan and his friends have a pheasant hunt in the fields. And Christine Keeler is interrogated by police about a specific relationship, but she has no comment.
0: So at Macmillan's house, there are 11 guns and 11 loaders. So there's a lot of hunters. And that's really all we see is a line of people shooting and loading guns. So that's really all we get of the opening scene of the Macmillan hunt. Then we move to the crowded room and they are letting the interviewee, the woman from the picture, smoke during interrogation. Interesting everyone's smoking all over the place there's ashtrays and ashtrays and i know the young among you are going to be shocked that we used to make ashtrays for our parents in art class (laughs) that's true that's very true so it wasn't that long ago that it wasn't that shocking but it does seem so now christine keeler says the policeman do you know this man captain eugene ivanov soviet naval attache no comment she says, Did you have relations with this man, Jean Perfumo, Minister of War? No comment, so then we see this John Perfumo handily enough, we've just seen his photo, so we know who he is in a car window, thinking now that kind of looking out a window, thinking, yes, a car window, yes, not the house window, like we keep talking about like, do you stare out the house window? I don't. <laughs> But a car window, yes, I admit so, yes.
1: But it was very pretty. I mean, the scenery was very pretty. So I would be looking out the window. Of course, not with the look of concern that Profumo had.
0: So back to the interrogation. You were at this party,
1: hosted by Stephen Ward,
0: Uh. Oh, SpaghettiOs, they have a photo. It's a casual snap of a party and the back of one guy's head in the very back of the room, right behind her face in the photo. So she knows who that guy is. Who's this man? They ask. And we literally don't see what she says. What we see is a man writing the words Mystery Man in Fountain Pen. Hey, do you think this is why the episode's called Mystery Man? (laughs) i think so so we don't see what she says i assume she says no comment again
1: i was actually happy that they did the title in the very beginning there's been a couple episodes where we had to wait till the end scene to understand why they named something the episode what they did so i was glad that they put it at the beginning and so clearly you know it's like a billboard unlike vergangenheit which we literally
0: had to google (laughs) <laughs> That's right. So Macmillan and the Noble Hunters arrive back at the house at the same time that Perfumo gets there. Um, getting out of his car with his city clothes and his grim expression is a real big contrast to everybody in their brown tweeds. Now this, I don't know, this might be just a production note, is not Macmillan's actual country house, which is called Birch Grove. I've seen a picture of it. So I'm not sure if we're just not supposed to regard that. Like if it's just someplace else or someone else's place, it doesn't matter. But it's just not the real house. They probably mm-hmm. did not get a hold of it. He's a member of the Macmillan publishing family. There's no shortage of money or friends with money. Anyway, did you know his mother was American, Macmillan? I don't think I did. I am surprised by this. Miss Nellie Bell of spencer indiana so a gilded age heiress i don't think she was even an heiress that's the thing
1: (laughs) oh well he wasn't titled right the mcmillans weren't a titled family so she wouldn't have been buying in for a title so maybe it was just a money issue
0: or maybe it was that rarest of things true love I just can't imagine that she brought all that much money to the table. Her father was a doctor and not, you know, your usual captain of industry or railroad baron or anything. Spencer, Indiana, even now only has about 2000 people. So I don't know. Huh? Uh, I I was surprised to learn that. Anyway, anyway, Perfumo has come there at Macmillan's request. They make that very clear.
1: Later that evening, McMillan and his wife, Dorothy, are getting ready for bed, and he tells her about his talk with Profumo, which was the talk they were going in to have in the last scene. That is intercut with the actual conversation between Macmillan and Profumo. Can I please tell you the way Dorothy puts on her lotion is super crazy?
0: <laughs> She's like slapping her legs with lotion. Anyway, um, we have another one of those conversations between them where each character is... Reflected in the mirror So they're talking to the other person While talking to themselves in the mirror I, That's just a technique this show uses a lot mm-hmm. I like it So the men in the intercut scene Are playing a pool Or a billiards is probably what they're playing Because we have a country house, you know um, So the many and significant Achievements of this government Says Macmillan Are being overshadowed by scandal and rumor Perfumo asserts I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to answer for. And he alludes to the fact that he put this before the house. That's the House of Commons. So officially, he has denied whatever rumors there are. We don't know yet. He's denied them, if not exactly under oath, but under, say, his honor. It's kind of a given that if you assert something in the House of Commons, it equals, you know, you swear to the Bible. In this time, that means you have spoken the truth. So he's done that. That seems reassuring. Macmillan is telling Dorothy that he believed him. However, he gave him another out, another chance to tell anything there was to be told. You can speak in confidence in here. We're friends. There are fault lines in most marriages, and I can admit to mine, which causes Dorothy to look at him sort of angrily. Like, well, then what have I been keeping up all this pretense for? You know, <laughs> like, remember, she and her boyfriend have been a thing for well over a decade, maybe even two now. And she's been playing the part of this conservative wife for the benefit of his career and reputation, which is a certain kind of love, maybe. Her boyfriend didn't have nearly the money that Mary Mellon had, so maybe it's self serving. Maybe. <laughs> But Perfumo doubles down on his assurances back at the pool table. I owe you, dude. I asked you to let me in this government. Why would I turn around and make a fool of you? So Macmillan asserts to his wife that he has liar radar. (laughs) (laughs) He he, does. (laughs) You know, people's faces just look different when they lie, which is true. It's called micro expressions, but not a lot of people are good at seeing them without the benefit of freeze frame. But it doesn't work. If the liar's very good at it, and also if the liar doesn't have a conscience. Uh
1: Uh-huh. When he said that, they went in on a close-up of Dorothy's face. And I was like, oh, does she look like she's guilty? But then I wondered why she would be guilty, since he knew. Harold McMillan knew that his wife was in this relationship. But she kind of looked like she was guilty of lying right then and there.
0: (laughs) Here's what I imagine. is like, dude, we totally smoked you for years. You didn't know. He he knows now. And I am sad to say that the word on Macmillan is that he never stopped loving Dorothy, honestly. So that's even more heartbreaking that he Mm -hmm. is kind of letting this all go on and it's hurting him every single time and every single day. You know, that's actually
1: kind of an aspect that I am sad that I know. (laughs) The show does a really good job of portraying that, I think. I think it really looks like he cares about her just the way he talks to her. I mean, the fact that he's talking to her in this fairly intimate setting of them getting ready for bed, they're in their pajamas, they're almost going to bed. So the fact that he's sharing this kind of information with her, it's another indication that he cares about her and he trusts her, I suppose. So I thought they did a good job portraying that relationship. Well, he does
0: say something so direct. What are my options? To distrust those closest to me who profess to love me? That would be too painful. Uh, if that's not to her, I don't know what it is. Such a weird relationship. (laughs) Mrs. M asks about the photograph, the one we've already seen, but now it's in the paper. Now it's real. So we hear this Christine is a call girl and that Russian captain she was being asked about earlier is a spy. This is getting more intriguing because I was like, okay, so he had an affair. And I understand from the Mike Parker episode, that is a big scandal, but I didn't think it rose to the level of everyone's freaking out. But now that we know that there is a minister of war and a Russian spy that share the same outlook a link between the two okay this makes a little more sense so mrs m puts forth that the mystery man is perfumo and mr says there is reasonable doubt and mrs calls her husband a quote credulous trusting fool
1: yeah and they also do a really good job of making her kind of brash and uncaring in this show
0: well the way they argue doesn't even have any fire in it anymore
1: Mm-mm. It's more like bickering. I, I agree. Although he's pretty chill, and she's the one that's got a bite to it, I think. Just the way she said that. Credulous, trusting fool. Just that she said those particular words, I guess.
0: Well, we'll see him being a credulous, trusting fool a little bit later, but I was actually wondering why they were even sleeping in the same room. We saw the outside of the house. And then I thought, oh, wait, because I counted those guys earlier, 10 extra bedrooms. You probably need at least 10. And there's wives probably there if it's a weekend, you know. So never Mm -hmm. mind. I mean, maybe there's
1: not 10 extra bedrooms. Well, even if there was just one guest to keep up their charade of having this, you know, normal marriage, they would sleep in the same bedroom. I don't think so.
0: That's a very common upper class thing to have separate bedrooms.
1: Oh, yeah, you're probably right. They, but they do get into their um, Dick Van Dyke show beds, you know, the two twin <laughs> beds. Yeah. <laughs> so that was nice. The next day, we see Macmillan publicly supporting Profumo against some seriously suggestive allegations.
0: He, McMillan backs his friend on camera, unequivocally. Well, he has chosen a side. We will see how that works for him. I love how everyone behind them is in chaos. <laughs> Uh-huh. There's there's no um, nice backdrop. They're out for more birds. And if it's April, I don't know what they're shooting. Honestly, oh. according to current regulations, I don't see any birds past February 20th. Ducks and geese in that case. Um, I don't know. Maybe the rules were different in the 1960s, but there's nothing in March or April. Um, fall is the big time for
1: birds. Yeah, even pheasants, because you go and hunt them after, like, the crops have all been cut, right? I was under the impression that that's what they were shooting for some bizarre reason. Well, so anyway, you know,
0: I don't know. Artistic license, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I like that scene. Uh, it's like, okay, I have this thing to go do. Everybody's getting ready for me. I believe the guy. We all need to believe the guy. We need to stand behind him as a country. See ya. I'm gonna go hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We are back to Elizabeth. Yay, we get to see the queen. Her aunt Marina asks her to handle a situation with Margaret's loud, disturbing apartment construction. So who is this Marina?
0: We better clear that up. She seems awful familiar with the queen. So Elizabeth's papa had many brothers. We've met the oldest. Oh, have we met the oldest? Uh, We met him last season. We met him this season. We also met him during our other podcast, the History Chicks Wallace Simpson episode, where he was kind of the co-star in those episodes. So the oldest, then Papa, then Henry, George, and John. Marina had married George. So she is Elizabeth's aunt by marriage. But wait, there's more. Because her father and Philip's father were brothers, so she's also Philip's first cousin. (laughs) It is very complicated to draw the family trees kids very very evidently she is the last foreign princess to marry into the British royal family. She is Princess Marina of Greece and Denmark which should sound familiar because Philip's old title was Philip of Greece and Denmark. So anyway, Marina's husband had been killed during World War II and the senior royal family had always taken care of her and her children financially since. So they lived in apartment one in Kensington Palace, which is what this particular meeting is about. Princess Margaret and Anthony had moved into apartment 1A which was right next door. And that's where all the building was taking place. Marina has 21 rooms in her apartment. But let me tell you a little bit about Margaret's apartment, shall I? (laughs) So there were at least five what they call reception rooms. So assorted rooms that you have to fill with furniture is what I'm taking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three Regular bedrooms with dressing rooms attached, three regular bathrooms, a whole nursery wing, nine staff bedrooms, four staff bathrooms, two kitchens, two staff lounges, plus 20 what were called offices. So 20 little, very specific rooms, including a luggage room and a dark room for Anthony. So (laughs) we are basically remodeling an entire mansion inside of this bigger building. And that takes a lot of work, you know. Also... Princess Margaret's apartment, as described above, is where Prince William and Duchess Catherine live now in London. Ho, ho. Well, anyway, also the roof had needed to be replaced since the 1940s when the bombs hit it and, you know, so on and so on. So a lot of work was needed. Um, The Gloucesters, she mentions, are descendants of the third boy in her father's family, um, Elizabeth's cousin and his wife. And Elizabeth seems so happy, (laughs) notice her face, Mm -hmm. to be interrupted by the equerry coming in to announce another guest. Like, don't worry, Aunt Marina, as head of the family, that's what I'm here for. So she is the
1: mater familias. <laughs> oh, very nice.
0: Um, kiss Kiss and Marina Curtis.
1: OK, this was where I said, oh, we're going to say goodbye to Marina here. Now, Marina was also supposed to be at the Dear Mrs. Kennedy dinner per Mrs. Kennedy, but she was left off the guest list intentionally by Elizabeth. So, she actually had a little reoccurring uh, role throughout the show. So, that was kind of, I thought, mm, maybe that's the last time we see her. So, tuck that away.
0: But maybe not because real life, I don't know about character Marina. I can't see forward to season three, but I, uh-huh. I can see backwards to actual history. And um, Princess Marina, who was actually allowed to use Princess Marina again because she was born with that title, kind of how Philip got to use his again, ultimately. Did a lot of the whole public appearance PR stuff for Queen Elizabeth. So she was grateful for her accommodation and the care people had taken of her and her children. I Mm -hmm. mean, her her children are Elizabeth's first cousins. I mean, they're members of the royal family. So um, but anyway, so she did, I guess, pay the piper.
1: I'm I'm thinking about what I've read about the next season of this show, that they're going to jump ahead in time, and she dies in 1968. So if they jump to the 70s, she's gone.
0: Well, but see, we just got news that Diana is not appearing in the next one. So right. we can't be at 1981 mm-hmm. in the entirety of
1: season three. We'll see. Oh, uh, well, the first season didn't get very far on the timeline, though.
0: Well, I can't argue with you because I don't yeah. know anymore. I'm yeah. reading no, the this well, same.
1: This, this, is, this is merely speculative argument.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, you can read whatever date you want. I think people just pick it out of a hat. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I'm going to say it's going to be after Aunt Marina dies in 1968. Because <laughs> it works for my narrative. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. <laughs> At this point, Elizabeth gets professional confirmation that she is pregnant, but there are some complications. So
0: finally, Elizabeth is pregnant. We all knew that was coming. Character Elizabeth hasn't known for two episodes. It's been killing us. Anyway, if this doctor looks familiar, it's because he's the one who had to tell Elizabeth's papa he was dying. His personal physician and Queen Elizabeth's personal physician, Dr. Weir. I am very glad he has good news to deliver this time. Or does he? Hmm. Your iron (laughs) levels are low, he says. Very low. And I looked this up, and as far as I can tell, the danger of untreated anemia is uh, maybe a low birth weight and a preterm baby. And also, you might lose an excessive amount of blood during labor and be less able to fight off infections. So those all seem very serious. Um, Also, you could have heart failure during delivery, the end.
1: (laughs) We have to also remember, she's 37 at this point, and I hate to use this word, but it applied to me twice. She's an advanced maternal age, so there might have been some question regarding her age as well, having babies at this point. Like That would add to the complications, in addition to the iron, although they didn't say that, Dr. Weir didn't mention it, but in my head, I'm going, well, she's 37. She's going to have some, she's already a high risk pregnancy.
0: Well, I couldn't find any reliable source that could tell me what the treatment was for anemia in the 1960s. So surely it couldn't be as easy as going over to the CVS and getting a bottle of iron pills or this would be no big deal and also i spent way too much time on the website for the american society of hematology (laughs) and you can sign up for their newsletter if you want to we'll give you a link
1: i you know it's a very specific rabbit hole (laughs) That's right. Hey, speaking of rabbit holes, did you know that it wasn't a rabbit dying at this point in history? It was a very scientific blood test. You know, we think back, oh, the rabbit died. That's a cliche for a pregnancy test. It wasn't in the too far past. That was only in the 1950s. They would inject urine into either mice, rats, frogs, or rabbits, and it would send them into heat if the woman was pregnant. Unfortunately, the only way to determine that was through dissection. So that's how the rabbit died. It isn't like, you know, you inject something into the rabbit and it passes out. It was a little gorier than that.
0: So really, functionally, each and every single rabbit, regardless of the results, died.
1: All the rabbits died. But by this time, it was a blood test. (laughs) Thank you, science.
0: (laughs) My goodness, that seems complicated.
1: And I wondered if this was another goodbye Easter egg with uh, John Weir, because we did see a lot of him in the first season, you know, while uh, King George was ill. Oh, by Easter egg, you don't mean Easter egg. You mean curtain call. I mean, yes, yes. I mean curtain call, but I mean Easter egg in that you have to really know the show to be able to tie these together. That's how that's why I'm thinking of it as an Easter egg. You know, Easter eggs are like things that only people insider information can see. Otherwise, it looks just like part of the story. So, yes, curtain call, Easter eggs. Okay. <laughs> Elizabeth goes to share the news with Philip, only to learn that he's left for the weekend, and it's only Wednesday. I love Elizabeth's
0: beaming face as she goes down the hall. She is so sweet with her little secret. It's really cute. She's smiling at everyone. Oh, hello.
1: <laughs> you know it's i agree i thought the same thing
0: i'm gonna miss claire foy
1: i know me
0: too me too well she discovers philip's not there and that valet is pretty cagey isn't he he's been invited to a house party and then no further details who else have we had start their weekend on a wednesday jackie kennedy who was uh-huh. getting away from something, not running to it. And he went out of town without telling her. It was very last minute, Mom, says the valet, and looks her right in the eye. Liars, that's how you do it.
1: <laughs> I wonder if Harold Macmillan could have discerned that he was lying at that point. Nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. That guy is real good. Yeah, that's right. I mean really he wouldn't even tell her or leave her a note I mean she was in the house it Wasn't like she was off somewhere Well now <laughs> This has happened to me actually Oh, <laughs> oh.
0: It, it is because I wrote the date Okay now you have to know that my husband's schedule Is and has been for almost 25 years So variable that I literally have no idea where he is on a given day So there's that background He's off home way after I go to sleep. Or not. Like this morning, he hung around hours longer than I thought he would. So we started recording very late. I have literally no idea the shape of his days. Now, I wrote a date down wrong. (laughs) We take a lot of separate trips, like little ones and big ones. And one morning, (laughs) I'm texting him like, hi, what are you doing? And he texts back bourbon with Luke at my layover at the airport. Uh, And I'm like, uh, seriously? I'm thinking, what? And then, but I text, okay, have fun. But (laughs) so, yes, my husband has literally been out of town without telling me. Now, he did tell me, you know, this sucks in in Queen Elizabeth's case. I mean, he didn't even tell her. Like, she didn't even Mm -hmm. forget, but she has to keep her face on in front of. a servant, even when they clearly know what you're thinking about a situation. Mm -hmm. She's mad. She's mad, though. But I will say that Chris has
1: always told me when he's leaving. That's good. (laughs) Unlike Philip. And what made it worse is that she really wanted to share this news with him. She had something exciting to tell him and she can't really. Is she going to tell other people before she tells him? She can't just, you know, text him.
0: Is there a baby emoji or a picture of a jar of Prego spaghetti sauce? What would you text?
1: You know, a a meme of a rabbit.
0: (laughs) How would all of history have changed if there'd been texting? That is a very interesting book proposal idea.
1: Well, aren't those little notes that are delivered by Messenger kind of like proto-texts? Oh, telegrams. Well, no, I mean, oh, yeah, telegrams. Very good. No, I was thinking of those little, I was going back even farther, you know, like those little notes, like think Jane Austen era, Oh. like little notes folded up and they're really short and they're sent by messenger back and forth.
0: Or just when you got to send a card and one corner meant bye, one corner meant see you this afternoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And absence of cards meant bite me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very, very eloquent language.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Next, we see Stephen Ward arrested at his offices. And then in the police car, he has an eye conversation with Christina Keeler that foretells his doom.
0: So we know this is ominous because there's ominous string music. (laughs) Just so you know, Um, they aren't picking him up in handcuffs. So that is a little bit of a nod to his dignity. But uh, it looks like we're seeing her come out of that interrogation from before. And the reporters that meet her, A, know and B, care about her and her experience inside the police station. So I'm guessing that the secretary of war, Perfumo's part in whatever it is, is out there, too in the public eye, as evidenced by the fact that Mrs. McMillan saw that in the paper. And uh, rumor is it's Perfumo. So so Christine is famous in not a good way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: This is what I thought that she seemed surprised to see Mr. Ward, honestly, as he went by in the car. But a reporter is literally yelling at the car, Mr. Ward, what about Mr. Perfumo? So his name must be all
1: up in it, too. And Mr. Ward's pretty sad. As you would be. <laughs> At this point in reality, uh, Stephen Ward and Christina Keeler were kind of living in the same place, not as in a romantic way, very platonically. They lived in the same apartment. So they did know each other very well. I mean, not just because of these parties and he, these uh, connections that Ward did, but they knew each other as friends, really.
0: Well, and I, uh, I'm i sorry to say that that friendship was kind of the thing that came to bite him, which is super sad. She, Christine, and her friend Mandy, who was briefly mentioned earlier um, that we don't see in this show at all, Had been kind of living with him as a cost saving measure as little roommates and they contributed minor amounts of money from their relatively meager earnings to the household like any roommate would pay their share of the gas bill or whatever. He was making a lot of money. I don't think he needed those little dribs and draps. He wasn't surviving off their income, but that's what they got him on.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. And in reality, that interrogation where she kept saying no comment, no comment, in reality, the conversation, the interrogation was full of comments. Oh, yeah. She she wasn't all coy. No comment, no comment. She was like, "Okay, this is what happened. And then (laughs) this and then
0: this. And there's this guy and that guy and this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, yeah, she's
1: 20. At this point. And this stuff that happened with Profumo, she was only nineteen years old. So she's very young, and she's being, you know, thrust into this public spotlight In a newspaper office, the story breaks about Ward's confession while Anthony Armstrong is there to get his next assignment, so we are in a
0: newspaper office. And the junior guy, um who has gotten a, a tip, um gets up and runs into the office of the headman, you can tell because he's got a lot of books and more <laughs> space. The junior guy is pretty open about the details in front of Anthony which makes me think Anthony is a familiar fixture in that office because I don't think you would go there in front of a complete stranger so he obviously knows who Anthony is anyway so we hear that Ward introduced Perfumo to the call girls we have a confession that Russian guy is a spy Perfumo's resignation is probably approaching and then the government's probably going to fall apart so that's all Tony hears (laughs) (laughs) And he just sits there and smokes a cigarette And then there's a little exposition once the junior guy leaves Um, So, you know, Paris is a go Is that what we're doing? And uh, Tony is evidently avoiding his home Tokyo, then New York City, now Paris The senior man says, wouldn't some time at home be good? And Tony says, it's not a home, it's a building site Not all of it, kids They're literally living in another apartment that has five bedrooms
1: in it (laughs) <laughs> They're not living in a boot cupboard under no. the stairs. So, no, but Aunt Marina already told us how loud it is over there. Oh yeah, so yeah. Maybe, no. Maybe he'd like to avoid that. So we get the news that hey, Princess Margaret
0: is expecting quote another baby, which I think we missed the first one in this show, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Their, their son David was born in nineteen sixty one, um, secretly on the show. Character Princess Margaret went under the radar on that deal. Yep. In any marriage, says Tony, it's important to find things that really bind you together as a couple, and yours is, says the senior guy, absence, big smile, but um, you know Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's not looking good for marital harmony here either, like any place in the crown since Papa King
1: died. That's
0: just what yeah. I'm saying.
1: Nobody can be married well. And in real life, their marriage was starting to crumble. I mean, it was mm, partially facadish at the beginning, but at this point, it's becoming a little more obvious that it's starting to crumble. They'd gone to Greece to celebrate Margaret's birthday with a bunch of other people. And Tony showed up late and he brought gifts for everybody except for his wife. (laughs)
0: what that's deliberate that is not an oversight
1: here's another deliberate one at that same time he pranked her into wearing a ball gown to a casual event she's like what should I wear and he says oh wear that fancy ball gown and she goes down and everybody's in sandals (laughs) casual clothes
0: if only she'd had a jean jacket she could pull that off
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Like a jean jacket and just put some lower shoes on.
1: Not even kids.
0: (laughs) No, not kids.
1: (laughs) This is probably a good time to take a break. And when we come back, we can find out what happens when this scandal breaks. And we're back. Elizabeth arrives at Margaret's construction site slash apartment to try to get her to be considerate of her neighbors. But Margaret has a nasty attitude, news and a mystery for Elizabeth. Speaking of mysteries, I think I just outed a filming location. If you freeze
0: frame, which I did accidentally, if you freeze frame, the there is a Latin motto over the arch as Elizabeth Carr comes in. In that beige stone over the arch behind her, the words Hirom Fili, which means Sons of Heroes, that's Wellington College's motto in Berkshire. So I'm guessing that Wellington College is standing in for Kensington Palace.
1: Ah, Well done. I saw that up there and I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm going to look at something else. (laughs) (laughs) Impressive. Now, it's it's co-ed now, but I guess they're not going to add...
0: Daughters of heroes, I guess. We're all included yeah. in the sense. <laughs> Too much
1: chiseling, I suppose.
0: <laughs> well, it wow. is freaking madness in that courtyard. Marina was right. Everyone stops working, though, and takes their hat off when they see the queen. This is what Aunt Marina needs. She needs a cardboard cutout from Kinko's of Queen Elizabeth <laughs> to put in her window. <laughs>
1: They all stand around going, how long do you have to stand here? Like
0: different poses for, you know.
1: That's funny. Just so she can take a nap. I'm sure she'll be happier if she just gets a little nap in.
0: Well, Princess Margaret kicks everyone out of the room by saying the word thank you mainly three times if you'll notice her behavior. (laughs) So the sisters talk about open plan kitchens, which Princess Margaret likes and Queen Elizabeth and I hate.
1: I want to hide my dishes. I don't want to sit at the table and look at the mess I left in the kitchen. Oh.
0: Well, you sort of have an open plan kitchen.
1: No, I don't. I have a doorway into my dining room. Why don't I remember that? I mean, there's not an actual like door, but there's a doorway. I don't know. But it's not like wide open like most modern houses. Anyway, I digress. But speaking <laughs> of her apartment, that actually looks a lot like Margaret's apartment. Although it does make it look a lot smaller than it is. The kitchen with the that wooden. Um, facades to the cabinets and stuff actually looks like Margaret's kitchen, one of her kitchens at that particular point in time.
0: Well, the set designers are usually pretty good on this Mm -hmm. show, so I would not be surprised. Now, Princess Margaret defends her choice of an open-plan kitchen by saying it's egalitarian. And Queen Elizabeth, (laughs) you cannot remarket yourself to your sister who's known (laughs) you your whole life, says, you're the least egalitarian person I know. So then Queen Elizabeth finds out what we already know. P.M. is P.G. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth melts right away right away and comes over for a kiss. That is the best news she could possibly hear. Side note, by the way, I love how right when Queen Elizabeth says, "How's the baby so far?" is right when Princess Margaret takes a drink of whiskey. So, that's very clever. <laughs> well, Queen Elizabeth delivers her other news. Um Princess Margaret thinks that's why she's there, is to congratulate her on the baby. Oh no, in fact, I'm here to yell at you. <laughs> um Princess Margaret is sort of delighted, if you see her face that the neighbors are mad. She has a little secret smile as she drinks her first gulp of whiskey. <laughs> And she calls the tattletale Princess Marina a quote low-ranking member of your husband's refugee family who should remember her place. Um, <laughs> as discussed, she's related to you too. Her kids are your first cousins, wacko. <laughs> I know.
1: But she did say also. She said she's lucky to be here at all because remember this is like a you know royal family commune. This. Kensington Palace. It actually still is, because like you said earlier, William and Kate live there and Harry and Meghan live in a cottage out back. Eugenie is moving in. So it's still the same kind of, you know, royal family commune.
0: But it's, I mean, to have put it that way seems silly when everybody's got, you know, 25 rooms of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's not like we're all living in a dorm. No. (laughs) The common room where the TV is set to soap operas or something all day. Well, also, speaking of royal family, the cantankerous old bat Alice that Princess Margaret refers to is her mother's aunt or aunt, I guess. Uh, An old bat who outlived Margaret herself by a couple of years. Longevity wins. Well, we can categorically say that Margaret has no respect for her elders. Or anyone, really. She calls them the whole nasty jealous circus cooped up in this ridiculous compound, which sounds like something Tony would say, so he's rubbing off on her. Um she markets this as they're furious we got the biggest apartment. As we said, Princess Margaret. Marina has a lot of rooms. I think she's okay. Also, if it's rank, you know, Margaret is pretty high. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, there are people missing from the lineup, you know, because Queen Elizabeth's children are old enough to have children and grandchildren and wives. So at this time, it goes Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mum, Princess Anne, and then Margaret. And then the wives of the Queen's uncles. So what is her deal? She's the highest rank in the place. Everyone gets it. Just shut your people up. Stop drilling. That's what their point is.
1: No, they're positively constipated with fury. <laughs> yes, they are, but not for that reason. Oh, no, I know. I love that phrase. I want, I'm going to try and use it.
0: <laughs> so Margaret, again, is spinning herself as the hip modern, dragging this sad institution into the future. And Queen Elizabeth, Knowing her since birth is instead casting her as the inconsiderate and selfish snob that everyone is complaining about. And you can see this push Princess Margaret's murder button. Anyone who has a cat knows about the murder button. Oh, yes. You can pet its stomach for three to five seconds and then a look will appear on its face and you are about to have blood. There's just a moment that it happens and the cat turns from a nice cat into a whirling dervish of pain. And that's what <laughs> happens to Princess Margaret. But anyway, um, Princess Margaret decides to do another one of those. Hey, guess what I heard? It's probably nothing like she did. Remember when Jackie Kennedy was insulting Queen Elizabeth? This time it's, ha ha ha, people are saying the mystery man in that
1: scandal is Philip. Mm. I mean, the dialogue was almost exactly the same as she did in the, um, stables during the Dear Mrs. Kennedy episode. Well, there's been some rumors.
0: I know. I don't like that. Well, Queen Elizabeth says, no, that's the Minister of War. He's admitted it. And Princess Margaret says, oh, yes, he admitted the affair, but he's denied the photo. So anyway, Princess Margaret has successfully dropped her poison pill of doubt into Queen Elizabeth's mind, just like she intended.
1: (laughs) I like this character so much to watch her. I don't think I'd like to spar with her at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she's not against fighting dirty, actually.
1: Uh, No, I think she prefers it. She gets all excited.
0: And I have a very strong feeling that ain't no silence coming Marina's way.
1: (laughs) No, maybe even more. Like, I think we need to do this ceiling over. (laughs) Yes, the wall that attaches our two apartments.
0: Let's make some holes in that.
1: Build some bookcases into it. (gasps) When Elizabeth leaves, Adine meets her outside.
0: He has actually come over special to get her. He was not in the car before. And as um, the camera focuses on Elizabeth going out in her car, he's walking out after her car. It's two miles from Buckingham Palace to Kensington. So I hope he has a car waiting outside the gates or else he's got a bit of a walk. Maybe that's the only break he gets in a day though. So
1: bless him, I hope, whatever. If he wants
0: to walk, I hope he gets it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was going with he had the that's where the car was because it wasn't in the courtyard where mm-hmm. she parked. Mm-hmm. so it would have blocked her car in, can't do that. Well,
0: and it wasn't at the front of the house because I noticed he turned the corner and headed toward the guardhouse where the little um the lifting bar thing is. He's mm-hmm. actually still walking as she turns. So he's headed outside the gates on foot. Hmm. so I don't know where his car is. I don't
1: know. I liked how when she drives off all the workers then put their caps back on their head like all in unison like okay she's gone get your hat back on let's get back to work
0: poor marina she probably just laid down for a nap
1: elizabeth meets with mcmillan to discuss fallout from the profumo scandal and she tells him to hold down the fort
0: mcmillan admits to her to feeling betrayed by someone he trusted well queen elizabeth knows that feeling right now for sure from every direction um mcmillan is taking the heat for the scandal and i'm not exactly sure why Unless he had open support of the guy who did end up being scandalous. (laughs) Remember Mm -hmm. when an affair was scandalous and a high-ranking official? It seems so long ago.
1: Oh, it does. Good
0: times. Good times. Well, anyway, so the buck stops with the prime minister, maybe. And I keep thinking that in real life, it came out that Macmillan knew Perfumo had been having an affair and kept it on the low-low. Although we don't get that feeling in this show. Mm -hmm. Um, I think think he just got tarred with the scandal brush as part of as the boss of this guy you know Mm -hmm.
1: I'm just not sure why it would go upward like that no I I thought when I was watching this scene the first time that he was trying to take one for the team and resign Mm. but later in the show I began to wonder if he was trying to look for a way out for some reason like just life he was getting older whatever oh like this was his
0: excuse and he was gonna ride this balloon or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Out of Oz. Well, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, he does say to Queen Elizabeth the honorable thing for him to do is resign. Because, as he says, with whatever level of sincerity, the integrity of your government has been compromised. She rejects his resignation. You know, go back, take charge, and pick up the reins. The people of this country need stability, as do I. This genuinely surprises him. I think he thought... A resignation equals I walk out of here.
1: Yeah. And maybe he would already started to think about what, you know, like when you, you're going to move and you don't like the idea, but then when you come to terms with it, you get excited. So maybe he was like, okay, I'm going to resign. Now what am I going to do? Oh, I can go golf. I know what he does, but. um,
0: I'm going to go shoot birds in the face. That's right. (laughs) Everybody has their thing. Well, she tells him about the baby and her intention to take it easier this time. And I didn't think about this until just now, but I wonder if she's looking for a way out or an excuse, also.
1: hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, she can't take her crown off.
0: Though she does mention that the Queen Mother will handle the PR type of things. She's mm-hmm. going to pitch hit. Um, is it pitch hit or pinch hit? Funny. I don't even know. I think it's pinch. Huh. Okay. Well, there you go. She'll do whatever it is. Although um, she won't do either one because this is a cricket land and not a baseball land. So the Queen <laughs> Mama will stand in, let's say. Uh, and then he has the con on everything else. He's the boss. That's, I'm going to take it easier and you have to cover my shift, <laughs> sort of. Uh-huh. Like a several month shift. This is on you. And um, there are some seriously awkward looks between them at the end when she says it will mean a great deal to me personally. Is it because they were talking about lady problems? It just seems very embarrassedly they exit.
1: Maybe a favor is different than an order. Like she's not ordering him to do this, but he's doing it as a personal favor to her.
0: Hmm. I still think it was the reference to pregnancy that made him a little uncomfortable
1: yeah maybe my father-in-law would never touch a pregnant woman's belly well thank
0: goodness for him (laughs) he's the only one
1: Uh, yeah well i'd be like she's kicking you know it's kind of cool to feel he's like oh no and it looked like he was gonna throw up every time he's like oh no 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 no
0: (laughs) oh not with permission even i'm like wow i you know how admirable to refrain from putting your hands on people but i see what you're saying
1: Dorothy McMillan goes to the theater with her boyfriend, Bob Boothby, to watch a comedy troupe satirize British politics, which is intercut with Dorothy recapping that evening for Harold back at home.
0: So she takes great joy in the fact that the cast was sending up Toffs. That seemed to be so delightful to her. Um, She's the daughter of the ninth Duke of Devonshire. So if there is a toff to be sent up, I mean, she's a toff. <laughs> well, good for her. Laughing at herself and her people, I guess. Um, having a go at government corruption. At one point, they even turned on the queen. She's so delighted by this whole thing. It was kind of a dirty joke, that queen joke. I thought that was kind of inappropriate, but everyone laughed. And then she tells her husband that they mocked him by saying, what are you most afraid of the arrival of the newspapers in the morning (laughs) and he's a little confused he asks well was it cruel and she downplays it and downplays how romantic it was with mr boothby i'm actually thinking in this scene that she's meaner or more resentful than i thought before because she encourages him to go which is a bad idea and it was Sort of cruel, at least that part, I think. But she kind of encourages him to go. I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I think so too. And I thought cruel is a perfect way to put this. I thought she was extraordinarily mean in this. Like she really thought he was going to think it was funny. Of course she didn't. She was just trying to push his buttons. One of the things I did love about this particular scene was when the scene before it ended, and we're still with Queen Elizabeth, there's a piano that starts to play God Save the Queen. And then it cuts to the actual theater production where they're playing God Save the Queen on the piano. So I thought that was really clever because like, oh, there's God Save the Queen and there's the Queen. But oh no, they're making fun of the Queen. Anyway, yes, I do think that she was being very mean.
0: <laughs> um, I would be very grateful, art people, if you could tell me because it was bothering me to the point where I'm actually disturbed by this.
1: Okay, I have exactly the same thing and I know what you're going to say.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> Let's see if she does. If you can tell me what painting this is in the room. Is that what your question was? Uh The woman behind her. So, okay. So my first thought was Gainsborough, Romney, or Reynolds, but the clothing doesn't seem to match Um, their period, of course. And of course, you know, the ninth Duke of Devonshire family- would seem to have those kind of painters in their stable or whatever, on their walls. I just assumed it came from her family and the clothing was too modern and I couldn't find it. It's not important, but it was going to bug me.
1: (laughs) Me too, because it it was a pivotal spot that you, you looked at it. It wasn't like it was hidden in the background as just, you know, set dressing. You looked at that portrait and it looked kind of familiar to me for some reason, probably because... Whoever the artist is, I'm familiar with.
0: <laughs> I think the reason it looks familiar is it looks a lot like Georgiana, the Duchess of Devonshire, like we covered on the History Chicks. It's The artist is very similar to that
1: technique. Mm. So, okay, maybe Anyway, that's
0: funny. please dig in if you're bored and have some time to spare. I couldn't find it. Um, okay, there is a timestamp these become increasingly bizarre to me because they don't seem to match up with anything that's happening. So on the radio, right as the scene ends, you will hear somebody giving a speech. Now, this is a speech from Nigel Birch given in the House of Commons in June of 1963. The time will come very soon that the prime minister should make way for a younger colleague. So ouchie, number one, that that's coming from the House of Commons, but Also, we now know it's June. Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, that just went along, too, with the conversation. I mean, she was pushing his buttons. And the last thing she's saying is, you should go see what's happening in your bloody country. And then that comes on. Back at Buckingham Palace, Elizabeth and Philip realize that they are going in vastly separate directions, literally. So Queen Elizabeth is
0: going to Balmoral in June which is way too early for her to be going to Balmoral. <laughs> well, she's going on that leave, extended right. leave. So it makes sense. I mean, in the story, it makes sense. So she's going too early, earlier than she normally does. And Prince Philip is not going with her as she was so happy. Oh, you're coming too. So excited to see the trunks. No, he's going to Samoritz. He's going to Switzerland to a mountain resort of skiing and drinking of glühwein. Interesting. Separate <laughs> countries, she says. How apposite. And he says, what does that mean? And in this response, <laughs> she sounds just like me. She just gives him the definition. Appropriate, suitable, fitting, apt.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was funny.
0: He's like all disconnected during this entire scene. It's, you remember, this is what's happening while Charles is at school. Like, we just saw him last episode. Old, distracted, distracted distant anger management Philip is back so there's good continuity but no communications you just enjoy the mountains dear and he gives it a second and thinks he's gonna turn around and she's gonna be there to argue with when he turns around but she's gone she's out mm-hmm. do you think she's even told him about the baby I
1: don't think uh, so. you I don't,
0: don't? Uh, I think
1: she has it by this point. I think she has, because he would have been surprised when he saw her again. You could she was- just write him a letter. <laughs> have someone deliver it. That's just totally mean to assume that if she didn't tell him. No. I wanted to know why he needed swim trunks, though. Like from the sauna into the snow thing? Oh,
0: maybe. Maybe the sauna. I forgot about the sauna. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the sauna is less swimsuity than altogethery, if you know what I mean. What am I saying? I think Sana is naked and so you wouldn't need a swimsuit.
1: Well, it is a resort area, so maybe there's an indoor pool? Or hot springs
0: or something. I don't know. I guess maybe. I don't know enough about it. Uh, Samaritz. I know you can, um, you can leak money out of your wallet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a pretty expensive thing. <laughs> I love the last shot in this scene. It's Philip standing there and he's perfectly framed by this door. He's just standing there by himself alone, you know, in this almost empty room with luggage behind him. It, it just was beautiful. This show is just beautiful to look at. And that was another one of those framing scenes that struck me.
0: There are several scenes and I'll talk about one in particular later in this episode that rely on the
1: simplicity of remaining still to convey their point. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next scene is another technique that I don't know if I liked. (laughs) There are four things intercut. First, Elizabeth heads to Balmoral and reads about profumo mess that she's left behind. Second, Macmillan goes to the theater to see the comedy act for himself with humiliating results. Third, Stephen Ward is on trial for prostitution, promiscuity, and perversion. And four, Stephen Ward in Another Place in Time sketches a face.
0: This is going to be a little tricky to cover. Um, So just at the very beginning, all we see is Queen Elizabeth on the train. She's on her way to Balmoral and does not look happy. So that's the briefest of shots. The end. We move to Macmillan who is sitting down in the theater and everyone kind of stirs and starts whispering. This production is called Beyond the Fringe and we can link you to some information on it. It was an extremely popular and shocking play that is usually given credit for breaking ground for a similar show that you might actually have heard of, Monty Python's Flying Circus. So if you imagine that show and it's like attitude and irreverence, you can get a feel for what's happening at this show in front of Macmillan. Although this kind of open mockery
1: of institutions was pretty new. Mm-hmm. There's The farewell performance from 1964 is on YouTube. So we'll get you hooked up in the show notes for that. You can watch the whole thing. And it looks very similar to what's on the show. You know, a, a blank stage with just different elevations and the piano and a very young Dudley Moore. He was only 28.
0: <laughs> I have to say, satire um, satire does not travel well, typically, because you kind of have to be very familiar with the subject of the satire for things to be funny. Mm-hmm. And the further you get and the less familiar you get with who they're talking about, you're like, okie dokie. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't watch The Crown, you'd be like, so Macmillan is afraid of the newspapers. Okay. You know, you... <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, you don't understand why that's even funny. So yeah, you know, it might not be as funny for you as it obviously is for this audience. But mm-hmm. just moving on, I think with this intercut scene, so it's not cut into pieces. This incident really did happen, where Macmillan is in the audience. And the actor breaks the fourth wall and ad libs out to him in the audience, mocking him for showing his face at all. And I don't think we know the actual words, but in the crown, the actor, Peter Cook, turns and says, Do my eyes deceive me? Is that really who I think it is staring back at me? I do want to say that the director has cleverly put, as the actor says this out loud, what you see is dr ward drawing the eyes of philip on a piece of paper so Uh clever do my eyes deceive me is that really who i think it is nice i've come to the theater to see these young satirists who do an impression of me says the guy on the stage that's handy because i'm told i leave a terrible impression wherever i go there is lots of laughing and we are shown that Macmillan is very embarrassed because you see Macmillan on the stage in his underwear.
1: <laughs> like a nightmare. Ah. Yeah, yeah. They did this shot from above, and the whole audience turns to look at Macmillan who up until this point was kind of enjoying himself.
0: He was a little embarrassed to be laughing. Did you see him kind of looking (laughs) around like, oh,
1: my, that is funny, but my goodness, you know, yes, he was genuinely having a good time until this minute. Yeah, right, yeah. This was mean. This was not necessary to turn on this guy in the audience like that.
0: In real life, when Peter Cook did that, Unlike in The Crown, where all you see is a montage of people laughing and showing you their fillings, which is kind of ridiculous. But (laughs) so people are like laughing, laughing, and he's on stage and his, his life flashes before his eyes. Oh, my God. Instead of that, evidently everyone was super uncomfortable. The other three actors on stage were like, oh, crap. And the audience kind of got silent, like, well, I think you've officially crossed a line. It seemed not good like it brought the room way down so i'm glad Mm -hmm. to hear it
1: because it should (laughs) have although i did appreciate that they made all the people look ugly because it was an ugly moment they didn't make anybody look pretty you know what i mean Right, right it was bad lighting and people's faces were contorted in laughter and it was awkward feeling so
0: then we snap back to stephen ward's trial which looks like we are now in july 1963 if we're trying to keep this timeline straight So it's a riot scene outside. People are screaming at him, scumbag, and are you a traitor? So I am guessing that we know about the Russian thing. Otherwise, that makes no sense. But the opening statements of the lawyer, the prosecutor, are, we have come from the very depths of lettery and depravity in this case. Like, have we? I'd say using this yardstick alone, we might have hit it earlier in the season with the fries. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: if yeah, but I the mean, fries
1: weren't public like that. Well, yes,
0: we do not see their parties on screen. That is mm-hmm. true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so he goes on what is this loose despicable world of stephen ward and his associates um we see queen elizabeth reading what the headlines say what the hell is going on in this country perfumo the unanswered questions okay decency respect trust are a thing of the past says the prosecutor i am still not getting the severity i mean it Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. understand. It would be one thing if people were concerned about, you know, state secrets going from Perfumo to Christine directly to the
1: Russians. Right. He's not on trial for that. He's on trial for living off the money that he earned in, in prostitution. He's, that's why he's on trial. He's not on trial for state secrets. In reality, you know, the story was bigger than they show it here. The depth of depravity that they accuse him of is much deeper, but in reality. So maybe that's why, but they don't do a good job of showing that here.
0: There is a phrase that I would like to say here. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a Prince Philip to Samaritz, but you can't make him cheat. Or you can lead a perfumo to a call girl, but you can't make him go upstairs. I'm just saying other grownups have agency here hmm. I'm having a hard time, honestly, and truly understanding what the freaking big deal is at
1: all. Was it the drama of, quote, a prostitute and a minister? They had Ward being the pimp for all these women, for Christina and for Mandy. They had him as their pimp. In reality, these women said, no, we did not sell ourselves. But that was not the case that the prosecution was presenting. The prosecution was presenting all that stuff that we saw the fries doing, you know, the multiple partners and the, you know, homosexuality at this time was a big no, no, um, socially. Right. So that's the case. The prosecution's presenting, you know what I mean? I don't no, know. If that makes I
0: still sense. don't understand it. I still don't because I'm like, okay, then where's perfumos conviction? Like, why are we going after one end of the scenario and
1: not the other end? The money, it's, this is the only thing that Stephen Ward is on trial for, is making money off of these girls and living off of it. Although he was
0: making so much money until his clients started running away from him like a, a rat's on a sinking ship. Um, mm-hmm. He was making, in today's money, what, $200,000 a year? And they were contributing very little to the household money. I, they followed the money. So ultimately, mm-hmm. and this is too late for him, by the way, um they untangled the finances and found that out. Um, This is going to be a tiny spoiler. I'm sure you've already seen it, but they didn't untangle that scenario until after he was dead, which is like a little too late to help him. But um, yeah, I don't, anyway, kind listeners, I don't get it. Whatever. I don't care about any of this. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, rumor and scandal and expose just swirled around and it seems like this guy was going to be the fall guy for all of this, no matter what. I think he was railroaded. That's what I
1: think. Oh, I agree. I mean, this whole story, and I I can't get into it here, but we'll link you up to more depth of the story. But there is like... Um, spies involved and politicians that are framing him and making him take the fall there's as much conspiracy theories about this particular case as there is about kennedy's assassination this actually really did reach
0: across the ocean and touch kennedy he was linked with a member of this circle and it almost broke out in america too it was averted for Mm -hmm. the most part um so anyway yeah we could have heard about it here too Anyway, the time has come, says the prosecutor, to cut out the moral rot of society. You will not convict him because he was at the center of all this depravity, but because he was the orchestrator of it. Can I add also that the background noise of all of these intricate scenes is the maniacal laughter from the theater, which is
1: super disconcerting. Mm -hmm. I think that was good in that it's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to feel like that. It wasn't that they did a poor job of it.
0: Right, to right, me. right.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. It's just, what's going on here? I don't know what's going on. There's all these weird things that don't seem connected. Yeah.
0: I think the problem I had with it is that I was not made to understand the depth of why this is a big deal. And yeah. So I was very surprised by this next scene.
1: With the phone ringing throughout, police find Ward dead, then discover a recognizable portrait in his apartment which is intercut with a scene of Queen Elizabeth laying down for a nap.
0: So his body, Stephen Ward's body, goes out the door in an ambulance. It is sort of made obvious to us as he is lying there that he has overindulged, probably
1: overdosed, and he is dead he died as the verdict was about to be read in his trial where he was found guilty. Um, he actually didn't die on the spot. He was in a coma for three days in a hospital um, before he actually, in real life, before he actually died of an overdose of barbiturates. So
0: here's reality again. He killed himself on August 3rd, 1963. So weren't we just in April, according to the card? Maybe the trial was that long and we just blew
1: through it. Yeah, this There's too many uh, threads in this particular part of this show. And this whole, the rest of this episode, as far as I'm concerned, is just one big loose thread. But as the police are
0: looking through his effects, they come across a sketchbook. And who is that
1: recognizable face? It's Prince Philip. Oh, ho. Michael Adine has some bad news for the queen at Balmoral. Worse, he has to wake her up from another nap to deliver it.
0: Okay, poor old Edine never gets any nice news over the phone ever, does he? No, no. <laughs> He's all hunched going in like, this is my life. It's August in real life. I'm bewildered at what time it is anywhere in the show from now on. There's um, So Edward is not born till March. So is she visibly pregnant or not? I can't really tell.
1: Yes. She is cuz she sits up and from on the sofa and she rubs her stomach.
0: So how is she visibly pregnant if it's August 3rd?
1: Oh yeah, she's done. <laughs> Edward isn't born until March. Yes, you're absolutely correct. <laughs>
0: Oh, my goodness. Obviously, there are boy continuity people happening right now. So, there you go. Well, the man at the center of the perfumo scandal, says Edine, has killed himself and taken his life, he says. And the police found a portrait of Prince Philip in his apartment. The police also have witnesses that saw Philip go to his house. Of course, I immediately thought any fool can explain that <laughs> with an appointment. You know what I mean? But OK. Um, <laughs> queen elizabeth is just baffled okay recalibrating her husband (laughs) is in deep with the biggest scandal to hit britain not good Edine, in his you know diffident way we were struggling to connect them ma'am until we realized they were both members of that lunch club uh you know the one (laughs) listeners the lunch (laughs) club that dang lunch club that brought down mike parker well, we'll fight off any press, ma'am, says Adine, which is not really her main concern right now.
1: <laughs> I want to think that that was the curtain call for the Thursday club right there. It's a bad place. Bad things happen to guys who go there. Elizabeth stands outside in really lousy weather to think. This
0: is the longest freeze on one expression I have ever seen in a movie I timed it this is 25 whole seconds of just nothing not even blinking Now it's not a freeze frame because the snow's going that was really clever by the mm-hmm. way so we know mm-hmm. that our tv's not broken mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Edine is watching her from inside the house and I I just kept thinking oh what is nothing's happening I know that was, that was amazing.
1: Yeah, this was, I, I put down, this is my favorite shot for the whole series. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in beautiful Scotland. She's overlooking a lake, a loch. And, <laughs> uh, and um, she's standing there, you know, she's got her raincoat and her headscarf and her wellingtons and the snow is falling and she just looks so sad and cold and lonely. And she's just paralyzed. She doesn't know what to do. It was beautiful. I mean, in that it brought up a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. I felt bad for her, of course, but this makes up for all those loose threads. This one little (laughs) scene right here. (laughs) Elizabeth and Nadine fly to visit Macmillan, who has now just resigned.
0: So on the airplane,
1: we have learned that
0: Macmillan is sort of using the ostensible reason of his health to get out of a very bad situation. That is what a dean thinks. He's lost the appetite to go on, which is, of course, a choice Queen Elizabeth does not have. You can lose the appetite to go on, but yet you still have to go on. So... Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to suck it up, I think is her point. By the way, if we're talking fashion, good green coat, sweater, etc. This next couple of scenes. uh, Is that a pillbox hat? Speaking of Jackie Kennedy's influence.
1: I think it was. I agree with you. This was that outfit was lovely. (laughs) Elizabeth meets with the recuperating Macmillan to discuss his leaving, his replacement and her stinging opinion of the three prime ministers that she's known.
0: Is Macmillan milking this hospital bed thing? I think so. Even Edine thinks so. Look at the eye roll between Queen
1: Elizabeth and Edine when that bed comes in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It reminded me of like a queen being brought in. One of those things called that sits on the slave's shoulders. A litter? Oh, yeah, on yeah. one of those. Because she, it's just a, a gurney and he's sitting up propped in bed wearing this Mr. Rogers sweater with a shirt and a tie. Like when does when they're in the hospital, (laughs) but he's accompanied by, you know, the orderlies and the nurse and he's hooked up to his IV bag. It's just this big production to roll him into this meeting room.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, Edine escorts everyone out and they go and Elizabeth and McMillan have a conversation. He basically says, my resignation is final. You cannot talk me out of it. And she has some things to say to him. And her points are these. You're perfectly well enough. You've let me down. I have had three prime ministers in 10 years. All ambitious, clever, brilliant men that are too old, too ill, and too weak. A confederacy of elected quitters. How you like me now? Stare down and she's out. (laughs) This is a new Elizabeth, uh, politically speaking. She is not mincing words at all. She is extraordinarily disappointed. He, although since he's no longer the prime minister, um, I guess technically has no right to give her the recommendation. He recommends the Earl of Hume, who she seems to know by first Mm -hmm. name. He -hmm. calls him steel, painted as wood, part of the old governing class, you know, just what the country needs.
1: In reality, there was actually another guy who was better suited. and right in the position. It was his deputy. His name was um, Rob Butler, who would have been the logical choice as the next prime minister. Um, So this is actually Macmillan manipulating Elizabeth into choosing the guy that his party would prefer be in power. So some good things were said of Hume. Um, I'm going to quote, He gives that impression
0: by a curious mixture of great courtesy with underlying rigidity on matters of principle. He has proved himself so much liked by men like Mr. Kennedy. This is exactly the quality the class to which he belongs have at their best because they think about the question under discussion and not about themselves. In his defense, although he only served a year, I will say he gained so much ground after the scandal that, yes, the party lost power after a year of his service, but only by four seats. So uh-huh. it, so he gained all the scandal ground back. And maybe McMillan was right. Maybe that is what somebody needed just for a little while, like a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wasn't malicious. Maybe he really did know what would fix things. Is a guy like that that was kind of like matter of fact, not prone to emotions, um, known to everyone, would just kind of handle stuff and not take anything too personally, which is what right. the guy was.
1: So right, I I I agree with all that, and but I do believe that he manipulated Elizabeth into recommending him for the job
0: no i think so too so you know betraying by people you trust so mm-hmm. had, had she waited as she was supposed to i think mm, yeah. for the um the house in general to provide their recommendations and then go forward with that she would have probably chosen that other guy butler so
1: mcmillan really did have a medical issue at this particular time he had a prostate problem and he did have surgery his doctors did tell them that he would have a full recovery just like they showed in um this episode you know their storyline so that was similar that was good that was good (laughs) he in his head he has resigned just like I think he did back in her office, or her office, her button room, where she pushes the button to get the people to come in.
0: I'm sad we haven't been calling that the button room all along. I know, right? Sad.
1: We'll have to remember that for next season. Um, a Confederacy of Quitters. Oh, I just look. I played that the first time I listened to it. I played it back again. I was like, "Oh, that was good."
0: And it just occurred to me that she has a special distaste for quitters because what put her in this position in the first place oh snap a quitter a quitter put her in this position put her through all of this trauma with her marriage which she could still freaking be getting a tan in malta right now (laughs) if it weren't for a quitter if you think about it yes she is her uncle's heir or would have been anyway but he's still alive Right. She would Um, not have had any of this responsibility yet at all. She would be raising her children in the country and playing with dogs all day and probably having a better relationship with her husband.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe. And she knows she can't. She can't quit the position. Because the quitter quota has already been taken
0: up by her (laughs) uncle.
1: (laughs) That's funny. Philip arrives back at Buckingham Palace. He travels through an angry mob to learn from Margaret and Tony What is going on with his own wife?
0: The only signs that I could read, um, our head of state should embody our values. Reign, not rule. Butler for
1: Britain, not your chum. Oh, I saw two different ones. Scrap the monarchy. And I know, and I like this one. Progress, not peers. Mm. So we probably read all the signs together. High five.
0: (laughs) You know what? I should say that... Mr. Hume, who I think is Lord Hume, actually, we talked about this um, earlier with the peer that was criticizing the queen and resigned his lordship so that he could run for the House of Commons. Guess who else resigned his lordship? This is Lord Hume resigned his place in the House of Lords so that he could be prime minister. We we had alluded to another guy doing that. This is that guy. So anyway, speaking of not peers, well, he technically was in advance as appear. So that sign already uh invalidated. <laughs> <laughs> the royal standard is coming down. Philip sees it on the roof and that means the sovereign just left. So it goes up wherever she is and it comes down when she leaves. So Philip already knows she's not on the premises by the way. We see a pregnant tummy and think, "Huh." It's not Queen Elizabeth. It is Princess Margaret. <laughs> I love 100% how Tony is just lying on the floor smoking and fucking in
1: the palace. Well, there's no furniture. At first, I was like, you're on the floor. And then I'm like, there is nothing to sit on in that room. And remember, he's got a bad back. He's got polio. So laying on the floor is probably comfortable for him. <laughs> Plus, he looks cool doing that. And, you know, Tony likes to look cool.
0: (laughs) Tony does like to look cool. Uh, I also love how Princess Margaret is coming to her sister's defense uncharacteristically. Philip says, why are you here? And she says, why were you not here? And Margaret explains, possibly for the benefit of the viewer, that Queen Elizabeth had been tricked into appointing someone that she shouldn't and is facing what might be considered repercussions, as you can see outside, and that she has
1: fled to safety in Scotland. (laughs) Where she should have been in the first place. She's pregnant and needed bed rest. Or Scotland rest? I don't know.
0: Yeah, nobody's bed resting. So I actually think no. this is just like <laughs> Melon had a little technique to get out of his deal. I think this pregnancy is her excuse because there's no bed resting
1: happening. Oh, I agree completely. Completely. She just dove at that too fast. She wasn't like, she didn't even argue it. It's like, you need to take it easy. And then she immediately was like, "Okay, I need to take a leave of absence. I need to get out of here. I need to go to my happy place of Balmoral. (laughs) Margaret is standing at the window and looking out again. But I guess this time she has something to look at because there's a mob out there. But she has the most lovely cornflower blue maternity suit on. I just loved it. She had these gold earrings and a gold brooch. The brooch game on this episode was strong. This whole episode, there was some beauties. So she defends Queen Elizabeth and angrily
0: talks to Philip. It's so funny because she's just as mean to Queen Elizabeth. But yet when it comes down to matters of propriety, she's right there defending her. <laughs> so she gets in these little modes where she wants to take her down. But if someone else does, no, no, that's my job.
1: <laughs> well, she's her sister. It's that blood family thing.
0: Mm. So she's out. She walks away. And Tony
1: Soto Voce says
0: under his breath, just use me next time. I'll always cover for you. Boys honor and all that. I think it is important to note that this conversation
1: is fictional. Margaret is off in the distance and she just like screeches. Tony, come on. Now, if you have the subtitles turned on on your screen... You'll see that Tony says coming out loud and then he says the f-word under his breath.
0: Oh, you can hear the f-word.
1: Oh, you could. I couldn't hear it the first time. I had to turn the I turned the subtitles on the second time. Oh so. no,
0: he clearly says it. I didn't need the subtitles. Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: so then the clever director shows us the back of Phillips head for no other reason than to let us know that he thinks Philip is the mystery man. He holds that picture of the back of Philip's head for seven seconds.
1: (laughs) Maybe he's just trying to put the doubt back into your mind. Maybe you got all confused about because they hadn't been talking about the picture because you need to know about the back of his head in the next couple scenes.
0: <laughs> can I please add here, for the sake of clarity and honesty and, uh, frankly, history, that all of this Philip and Ward naughtiness has no basis in fact, from what I can find. I mean, he cracked his neck at the office. Yes. But all of this weekending and disappearing, I do not think you're going to find any evidence of that. Okay? Just so <laughs> we know, it's character
1: Philip in Samaritz, etc. I think the Thursday Club was another connection that they had, but The rest, I mean, no, this goes way beyond that. And when this particular episode
0: came out, there was outrage. You know, historians, especially royal historians, might be willing to give you some, well, I know you have to construct a narrative, and so this is okay. But the viewpoint when this one came out was that the crown had officially crossed the line with this episode. I'm just saying, don't start feeling grumpy
1: at real Prince Philip.
0: Like when you have a nightmare about your husband and he's horrid to you in your dream and then you wake up and you're mad at him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a a line between historical fiction and fiction historical. And I think that uh, Peter Morgan crossed it with this episode. That's a good line. (laughs) If you do say so yourself. (laughs) If I had typed that, I would have stopped and looked at it for a minute. (laughs) You should
0: print it out and put it on your bathroom mirror.
1: I should. Because you
0: have a printer still. (laughs) So
1: that's good. (laughs) I do have a printer. That's funny. See, where are we? Okay. Philip takes the train to Balmoral. Eventually, he locates Elizabeth, but she doesn't have a rosy reception for him.
0: Rosie. <laughs> she's literally cutting roses. Um, At what I'm guessing to be Craig Owen Lodge, which is about a mile from the big house. It's a very tiny seven-bedroom house <laughs> where she sometimes stays if the big one isn't ready. Like if she has fled London at not the right time that she comes, for example. Um, so maybe the staff isn't ready for her to come. Anyway, the the dogs, these outdoor dogs I never saw before, are happy to see him. Medium happy. They keep running. But Elizabeth is not happy to see him. The idea was to be alone, she says by way of greeting. Well, hello to you too, he says. And it's just awkward standing around. There's really nothing happening. No. And then he says, "If you want me, I'll be in the main house."
1: You know what? Philip, she does not. No. It's pretty pretty obvious. Okay, I have a couple things to say about this uh, this scene. Okay. The train I would love to see a train montage. Somebody put all those clips together. You know, the train's traveling from left to right. The train's traveling from right to left. Then back and forth again, close up of the wheels, close up of the grill, close up of the steam engine, you know, the steam pipe or whatever that's called. Mm -hmm. Um, They overuse the train as a method to say, we're going someplace else. And I personally hope that this is a curtain call goodbye for the train shots i would
0: not hold your breath for that
1: <sighs> i would also
0: i you know what would you have them do that whole indiana jones thing where there's like a cartoon map and you draw a little line
1: <laughs> belmoral with a little train music do 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 no? hey they were creative enough to add this whole thing about philip being involved in the scandal they can come up with something come on it's their job <laughs> Okay, no. Um, You said you hadn't seen those dogs before. I think those are the hunting dogs. They keep them at Balmoral.
0: Okay, I'm just saying, like, hello, random dogs. Yeah, they weren't corgis.
1: And then, of course, horticulture. Um, You can lead a horticulture, Um,
0: but you can't make her think.
1: There are no leaves on the trees, but there's very healthy roses. I mean, we've already screwed up the timeline as far as how this whole thing went down. So let's screw up the growing timeline, too.
0: Honestly, it's a bewildering circus at this point. I, know. I don't think <laughs> there is a bit of
1: logic left. Um,
0: <laughs> let's see, maybe. Our queen had a visit from a different queen, the queen from Alice in Wonderland, who gave her some of those red roses that Alice That's was painting. <laughs> That makes just as much sense as anything else. That's right.
1: Okay, that's all I had to say. All right. Philip and Elizabeth stay apart, but brooding at Balmoral.
0: They're both pictured very dramatically with their heads hanging down So far that you can't see their heads from the back. They are not in a good place. Um. Although, touchingly, as we close out this little scene and Elizabeth is alone in her bed, she does put her wedding ring hand on his side of the bed.
1: That's very sweet. Mm -hmm. And she's just laying there with the baby. Yeah, this was great. There was no dialogue here or anything. It's just brooding, brooding, laying, laying. (laughs) Philip tracks her down again to have a he-said-she-said fight about his suspicious activities, his secrets, and their marriage going forward. Now,
0: I think this, the following thing, is actually a distillation of the entire season. This isn't like you, says Philip, and she says, on the contrary.
1: It's the most like me I've been in years. You know, she's always said that she'd rather be a countrywoman than being the queen. That's what makes her happy. So Philip says,
0: isn't it possible that there are people in your life who are there for you, come what may? And she says, cha, basically. (laughs) (laughs) She says, she means cha, but she says, if only. He either plays dumb or is actually dumb, by the way, when she asks about Stephen Ward. The portrait must have been done from a photo. Now that is kind of legitimate. Now we know that that's a lie, but I'm just saying. As an explanation, that makes perfect sense. People draw pictures of famous
1: celebrities all the time. And actually, Stephen Ward did draw pictures of the royal family. He was commissioned by a magazine to do it. I can link you up to one. One was sold um, not that long ago at auction, but not this portrait. We have to throw that out the window. We have to throw all reality out the window. But there really was portraits. just They didn't have any impact on this at all.
0: Uh, Character Philip also says, he treated my neck. Now, this, listeners, seems to line up with real Philip. Yes, portraits. Yes, he got treated for his um, osteopathic injury. Yes. But character Philip, you and I and the whole world know this is a lie. He acts like the guy never invited him. He talked nonsense about stress and tension. So I just went to this old Navy chum who slapped me around and fixed it straight away.
1: I don't know. We don't know that that's the house party he was going to. And we do know that he was invited, but we don't know if he went. So he's either gaslighting her or he's, he's speaking the truth. And he really didn't have this relationship with, I think this is what they were trying to do in this scene to make you question whether it actually, is he telling the truth or is he lying? That's what I think was supposed to be going on.
0: Okay. Very good. So real Philip is exonerated. Character Philip is still under a cloud, but has a possibility of not being a dirtbag. Correct. (laughs) Got it. Okay, very good. I can accept that. Well, she says, I don't even know who you are. Just tell me the truth. I'm strong. Just tell me the truth. And then, as if waiting for this moment in her whole life, she pulls out that little portrait of the ballerina, which I guess she's never confronted him with before. And she's kept in a drawer for how many years? So character Philip has been caught. Late, but caught. Oh, I think we can all agree That he looks sufficiently guilty about that ballerina Which in real life, no But I think character Philip Understands he's been caught He explains that there are two types of people People you trust, who let you down And people who appear to be difficult But are actually Utterly dependable Like me I don't know how to get that pivot from Admitting you slept with a ballerina To that statement There was something missing in the middle (laughs) I don't know He says, you are the essence of my duty. So here I am. I'm in, not out. And then Queen Elizabeth says, I don't, uh, she's maybe trying to make this kind of arrangement like the Mellons have. We're both adults and realists. And I can understand if sometimes in order to stay in, you need to do what you need to do. I can look the other way. And (laughs) his facade drops for just a second. And he goes, yes, you've raised that into an art form. Shut up, Philip. You're doing okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you had it. And now you, oh. But anyway, he said, you can look this way. He comes over and kneels down. I'm yours because I want to be. Not because we have an agreement. Not because you gave me a title. But because I love you. This is the same Philip who less than a year ago threatened to leave her over Charles going to Eaton. Let us not be swayed by his earnest expression.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was still pissed off at him for this whole episode because of the way he talked to her about that in the last episode.
0: Well, forgive us for our cynicism and also hers, frankly. Well, huh. I don't know. I mean, I do like the head cuddle. It looks super uncomfortable. Especially if you're pregnant. (laughs) But... um. I guess, ultimately, they are going. I mean, we know how it, quote, ends. They're still going. But we know that they make up. Evidently, they are forgiving, forgetting, starting over. Whatever it is they're
1: doing, they're going to do it together. That's nice. Yes. Hey, there are two candle holders in the background on a sideboard. They're kind of graduated with lots of detail on them. I would really like those, please. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so so far we have find me the portrait and uh, i just want to know the name of it you don't have to get me the portrait and then um yes the candelabra
1: a boy's choir sings to us as elizabeth gives birth while philip watches in awe then that baby is baptized
0: So Philip should have been there for all of them. That's what I think. See what your wife's made of, maybe. And I have heard fathers say that seeing their children born was an epiphany. Even my own husband, an epiphany. And um, we do get an epiphany soundtrack. So that's good.
1: (laughs) Amen. Yeah. No, I agree. He, In reality, he was there for this birth and this birth only.
0: I think my dad was not there for me. But was there for my three brothers and sisters
1: Ah, later than me? Not for me. My dad was out smoking. Hey, she doesn't have any twilight sleep for this one either. She's really involved. She's engaged. She's pushing. She's making birthing noises. And, you know, when the baby comes out, she's happy and tired and exhausted and relieved and all those emotions. But if she had had that twilight sleep, she wouldn't have. Well, and Philip wouldn't look so happy either, because remember we told
0: you during Twilight Sleep, everybody feels it. And so they flail around and claw at their face and punch the wall and tear their hair out. And I don't know what Philip would have done.
1: Mm -mm. (laughs) The extended family gathers for a family portrait with Cecil Beaton, who's armed with Shakespeare, but Philip gets the last word.
0: Cecil is having trouble getting everyone to be even remotely good. It is like a comedy skit i thought that anne and her little cousin down front were going to be the best behaved for a while and then even they started to turn around and talk to people finally philip has just had it and he screams (laughs) he screams for christ's sake and there's silence and then he (laughs) points at cecil and goes take the photo but cecil is a man of habit and he insists on sneaking in another verse before he clicks (laughs) and i thought philip was going to blow a gasket (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I love how Queen Elizabeth puts her hand in Philip's <laughs> with a little smile after he has taken charge of the situation.
1: Oh, yeah, that was lovely. And it looked like a real family portrait. I mean, real families don't sit pretty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're like that. They're screaming and yelling and
0: okay. fighting. Also, I love this message that I seem to be, frankly, overthinking here at the end. Cecil's Shakespeare quote seems glorious. Um, I don't know if he says this part, but part of the phrase, which is from Richard II, the play says, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone set in the Silver Sea. So it sounds glorious. But the fact is, if you know this play... The character saying this is a king from the past, the past of the play. And this king's point is, look at all the gloriousness we had, but then goes on to say that England now and the English have wrecked it all up. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to read the rest of that quote, the part Cecil didn't say. England, bound in with the triumphant sea, whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune, is now bound in with shame, with inky blots and rotten parchment bonds, that England that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself. Oh.
1: Yeah, you might be overthinking. I think they were like, let's find us some nice quotes about England. Hey, here's one from Shakespeare. That's perfect.
0: But I don't know. I think the point kind of in the middle was, well, things are a changing and the past does not look too favorably on the new. As they said, they called it moral rot. They called it decay, um, down with the monarchy and all that kind of thing. It's kind of eating itself up. Maybe. Well, I don't know. Overthinking. Me like. Or not. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, That's good. It's not too optimistic about the future, that quote. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> um, maybe Cecil just memorized the first part and meant the first part, uh, you know. Yeah. <sighs> well, so that brings us to the end. That is the season finale for season two of The Crown.
1: Do you want to give a little epilogue on some of these characters?
0: Uh, sure.
1: John Profumo, after the scandal, turned his life around to a life of philanthropy. He began by cleaning toilets and then worked his way up to fundraising. And eventually, he was appointed the commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1978. So he kind of kept himself together. His wife stayed with him. And speaking of your callbacks, we had mentioned it during that particular episode when Margaret and Tony were meeting at that cocktail party. But John Perfumo and his wife, Valerie Hobson, were at that party, their characters were at that party. So they make another little appearance in another episode. I thought that was very clever. Harold Macmillan became the chancellor of the University of Oxford. And then he took over his family publishing business, Macmillan Publishers, and didn't die until 1986 at the age of 92, 20 years after his wife. So he had some quiet years.
0: (laughs) I wish that he had um, married again but I guess that just never came. He had a couple of lady friends, but not lady friends, if you know what I mean. Like Uh they were friend ladies, but not lady friends. As my son calls them GSFs, girl space friends.
1: (laughs) I like it. Clever lad.
0: So I am optimistic about season three, although they haven't even started filming it yet. In fact, I do not believe we are going to get Paul Bettany after all. As Prince Philip, that's the news of the day. I'm very sad about that. Um, I am optimistic because of Helena Bonham Carter coming Mm -hmm. in as Princess Margaret. And they're saying, you know, like we said earlier, the rumors. The latest rumor I read was that this was going to go to the year 1976. And if that is true, we won't get any Diana, but we may see Camilla.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Young Camilla at that. Interesting.
0: And these last two episodes were so dark for me that I feel depressed.
1: This was my least favorite episode of the entire series. I have to concur. This one didn't do anything for me. I mean, the last scene was cute. Okay. The family's all together going forward, blah, blah. All the kids are there. I just
0: wonder if it was all the intercut scenes that made it hard to follow. Because honestly, I I felt no emotional investment in what happened to Ward. I felt no sense of urgency. I was surprised when he killed himself because I was like, whoa,
1: dude, you're overreacting. Because I didn't. (laughs) have any feeling that it was a dire situation. Yeah, I didn't even get that until afterwards when I was looking things up. And um, apparently he wasn't afraid of going to jail and being found guilty. He was just really um, crushed because everybody had turned on him. He could have had some people stand up and speak for him. And he had nobody, even though he'd had this whole life with a lot of contacts And a lot of social interactions, when it came down to it, he didn't have anybody.
0: Well, so then behind the scenes, which they never even referred to and could have, he is also a victim of people you trust who betrayed you. Mm Mm-hmm. But they didn't explore that at all, really. No. Well, I have a link to the Perfumo affair. I have a um, link to the text of Cecil's last poem. I have an entire thing about anemia, if you wanted to talk about that. Also, (laughs) um, a whole expose from NationalGeographic.com
1: about the science of lying. Oh, that's a good one. When I have a link to uh, Stephen Ward's sketches. I have um, some pregnancy pictures of Elizabeth from around this time. I can only link you to them because I'm not paying for them. Um, (laughs) I have an article on historical pregnancy tests, which I found fascinating. The Behind the Fringe final performance, Christine Keeler's New York Times obituary. She only died last year, December of 2017.
0: She really found it hard to go on, I believe, with the Mm -hmm. rest of her life because she'd become so um, notorious so young that she found it a little difficult to move about.
1: Yeah, she made some serious missteps that people who were more sophisticated could have told her not to do, but she made them, and I, I agree. She had a hard time getting away from that. And one more time, I do want to link you guys up to the Royal Jeweler. Um, she actually does a episode-by-episode episode jewelry coverage of this show. Well,
0: good. That's- it's good to have some experts. Yeah. Well, all right. Okay, that'll do it for the Crown. Um I don't know how I feel about not having this to watch anymore. Um, well, we're not 100% sure what we're going to do for the next episode of The recapery, but stay tuned. You can be just as surprised as we are. And we will see you <laughs> next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Do you know anyone who watches The Crown? Spread the word about The recapery, won't you? And tell a few friends. Also, we've got a Pinterest board set up at The Recappery for season two. If you'd like even more rabbit holes to travel down, just head on over there. And most importantly, don't miss our original podcast, The History Chicks, where we tell you the stories of women throughout history as only we can. See you next time. So I was having some trouble with my voice and Susan was trying to help me <laughs> remotely. So sorry for the length of this outtake. Uh, please feel free not to listen to it if it is not your thing. But here you go.
1: This one sounds really good, actually. Uh, mix equal parts black pepper and ginger powder and pour and then mix honey into it and eat it. Okay. I'll move that <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's tasty, though. Wouldn't it black pepper and ginger and honey like a spicy sweet thing going on? OK, well, the lemon is helping. Maybe I should just get another piece and stay with this. OK, <laughs> yeah, it sounds so much better.
0: <laughs> well, it wasn't like bueno at the very beginning. I'm like, boy, I mean, maybe I should try the ginger and pepper. Why don't we do that? I'll go. I'll... It won't take very
1: long if you have a moment. <laughs> no, now your tongue is going to stick to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be good.
0: OK, here we go. Okay. Well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. <laughs> well, just it do- It looks weird. It it looks weird. <sighs> <laughs> oh, it's kind of good. It tastes like a candle. <laughs> <laughs> like a oh, 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 and then the ginger will hit you. But yeah, um, it's okay. It really does. It tastes like one of those incense shops smells. Really? Oh, okay. Like, you're like, destiny. Oh. Enlightenment.
1: It tastes like enlightenment. (laughs) Wow. Who knew? (coughs) Oh, great.
0: I don't know. I don't know that these methods worked, but that was an interesting experiment. Okay. Okay.